All right, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn in them to Matthew. Today we're going to be Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible, we keep them in the seats there in front of you. You can see under the seats there, if, if the one that you see there is not very nice, maybe it's been used a lot, maybe your neighbor's is nicer. Uh, and there's like two or three really nice ones in the lost and found. You can go get one of those too if you want. But um, we will need our Bibles because it is our strong conviction as a church. It's my conviction as a pastor and our conviction as a church that it is the Word of God that shapes lives, that changes lives, and that transforms us. God uses His Word through the power of His Spirit to help us um, see things as they really are and, 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 and grow and learn and be transformed. And that's why it's our habit as a church, our tradition, to preach through books of the Bible. And, preach, and, and really what we try to do on a Sunday morning is hold up the scriptures in front of you and kind of beckon you to believe them and obey them and cherish them and love them. That's what we do. The Bible is, it's, it's our ambition to make the Bible central. Uh, if you're a new student, if you're a transfer, or you, you're just new to the area, uh, I know that some of you are. Um, I just want to be upfront. That's that's who we are. That's who we are. We we really believe in the Bible, and we really want to see the Word of God change lives, our lives, um, and our life as a church together. So that's why we're doing it. And we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount, we're working through all of the Gospel of Matthew. But lately, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we're in chapter 6, and we're just going to work our way through passage by passage. This next long little while, we'll be talking about prayer uh, and how Jesus teaches us how to pray. So if you want to open your Bibles to Matthew 6, I'm going to read verses 5 through 8. All right, the Word of God says, this is Jesus speaking, and when, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. All right, let's pray again. Father, I ask that you would move in our hearts today and do many things. Primarily, I pray that you would excavate and cultivate. Excavate our hearts, remove the material that doesn't need to be there, level it out. And cultivate hearts that love to pray, that love to come to you, that see the tremendous grace that is prayer. That we can we can we can speak to the Father, our Father, who knows our needs before we even ask. And we can have confidence on the basis of Christ as people who have been made sons. Adopted children into the family of God, born children too, born again. That our Father hears us and listens and cares for us and loves us and answers prayer. Oh Lord, I pray like the disciples um, did when they came to Jesus. I, I pray that you would teach us to pray through your word. And I pray that we would be a room full of open hearts, just eager to hear what your word wants to say to us. 
eager to, 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 to know what Jesus has to say, seeing the value, seeing the relevance for our lives. And Lord, I, I pray that the truth of the gospel, the hope of Jesus, the, the, the realization that though we are sinners and have gone our own way, we've, 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 we've every one of us done our own thing in rebellion against you, but you loved us, sent your son to die on the cross for us, bore our penalty in full on that cross. And what you did is enough. I pray that that message will be clear today. And if we trust in Jesus Christ today, we're made new. We're regenerated. We're given new life. We're reconciled to the Father. So Lord, I, I pray that you'd make that clear. I pray that you'd help me to preach well, clearly. This does not depend on me. I know that, Lord. I know that. And I'm so glad for that. It depends on you. But help me to pray, preach this well this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So when they were building the CSC track, I got this uh, in the south of the campus there. I got this time-lapse picture of it because I ran by there every, every other day or so. And uh, every day they're making new progress, right? This, I think it's 2019, 2020, somewhere right in there. Um, yeah, when COVID was on, I think a lot of it was going on. Anyway, um, running by there, at first it's just a field, right? And then uh, one day there's a whole bunch of bulldozers and backhoes and stuff sitting there ready to go. And then the next day things are like starting to get ripped up. And then it's a, like, a, a, like, a, like a totally, you know, the whole thing is turned upside down. You, you know what I mean? Um, and little by little, like, it started to take shape. Like, the, the excavation, they removed, they must have removed a ton of material and brought stuff in and whatever. But then it was time for, like, after the excavating, it was time for cultivation, right? And they came in, and I know that that's not a construction term, cultivation, but that seems like what happened out there. They laid the track, they planted grass, they watered, and soon there's this beautiful track out there in the south of the campus there. And I got to see this like every day changing, and it was, it was, it was kind of neat. And, and that's, that's, that's what's happened. It was, it was a lot of excavation and cultivation to make that track. And I believe that that is what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount. Those two things, excavation and cultivation. He is excavating and cultivating. Jesus is excavating our hearts, exposing what's there, I mean, the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know, I, you know, when you, when you see ground that's excavated, you know that smell of like earth that hasn't been around air and all of a sudden it's around air that it's not pleasant to a lot of people. And I think that excavation of our hearts that Christ does, that's sometimes not very pleasant. It's, it's not. It, it hurts sometimes. But Jesus is not just about excavating. He's also about cultivating. And he does both in the Sermon on the Mount. After studying this passage all week long, I feel like God's word has done some excavating in me. And I think that's a good thing because he's not only excavating, he's cultivating. And his aim is to, to, to make beautiful, regenerate hearts that love God, that love to pray, that know how to pray, and that do pray, that come to their father for real. So just keeping this lame analogy going. Uh, there's three big construction sites in Matthew 6, 1 through 18. In verses 1 through 4, Jesus excavates our hearts when it comes to giving. That's where we were last week. We talked about this last Sunday. If you missed it, you can go back and listen online. He exposes and removes the heart that wants to give so that other people will think much of us. 
Like that desire that's in us, that's totally not from God to make much of ourselves through our giving. Jesus excavates that, exposes it. He, he excavates virtue signaling and exposes and excavates the heart of the giver that doesn't give because he loves God, that doesn't give because he's content uh, with giving in secret for the smile of God, but wants the approval of men. And then verses 5 through 15, it's the biggest project of these three. It's prayer. And that's, that's the site we're running by for the next several Sundays. Jesus unearths the wrong ways to think and do prayer. Think about and do prayer. And then he teaches us how to, how to cultivate prayer. Like what our praying should look like. He teaches us how to pray. And then eventually we'll get to verses 16 through 18. Uh, the third site, which is fasting. Uh, how to deny ourselves and train our bodies for godliness. As I mentioned last week, these, these are three, I think, representative categories for most of the practice, the outward practice of the Christian life. And in, 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 in 6.1, when he begins this, uh, chapter 16, yeah, 6.1, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men. And then he teaches on these three things. And so I think these three things, that's the practice of our righteousness I think these are, they, like, these three categories cover our service to others, our giving, and our devotional life, our praying, and our self-denial and ordering of holiness with our bodies, our fasting. He's doing some serious excavation here in cultivation, and today it's on prayer, and I think we need it. Do you think you need it? I, I, I think I need it. You know, I was in seminary. Uh, and in a, a class, a professor started the class by asking, he says, I just want you to raise your hand if you feel like your prayer life is exactly where you want it to be, exactly where it needs to be. Just raise your hand. And I'm in a room full of people who are trained to be missionaries and pastors, right? And no one raised their hand. I certainly didn't. And I have a feeling, I've, I'm not going to do it, but I have a sense that if I asked that right now, nobody would raise their hand. This many people and no one would raise their hand. I, I believe with all my heart, we need to learn to pray. I think God wants to teach us how to pray. I think one of the great problems facing the church and facing the most Christians is prayerlessness. Our small or absent prayer life is a huge problem. Prayerlessness is a huge problem for many Christians. And it's dangerous. It's dangerous. We say we believe in him. We say we trust him. We say our confidence in him. We preach that we can do nothing outside of him. But then our lack of praying betrays what we really believe. And that is that we do not really need God. It's one of the great dangers facing you, my friend. And to counter that danger, we're just going to dive deep into these, with these few weeks into prayer as Jesus taught it in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's my prayer, and this, today's the intro to the conversation. We're going to be going all the way through the Lord's Prayer. But it's my prayer that the outcome would be revival of regular, secret, fervent, fully excavated and fully cultivated by grace praying. We'd be a people who pray. And God would encourage your heart in praying. You would learn to pray. 
I would learn to pray. So let's let the excavation begin. In this passage, Jesus spotlights two wrong ways to think about prayer. The way the hypocrites thought about it and did it, and the way the Gentiles thought about it and did it. He begins with the way hypocrites would pray, and he admonishes us not to be like them. Now, you might recall last week that the word hypocrite means actor. It's the Greek word for actor. We've imported it. It was used in the Bible in this way. It means actor. And in this context, it means that they don't really love prayer like it seems like they do. Like the way that they're praying would make you think, man, they love to pray, right? They love to pray. But they don't really love to pray. They're play acting. They're hypocrites. They love to be seen. They aren't really Christians. They just play one on TV. You know what I mean? That's what the hypocrite is, an actor. And he's saying, don't be like that. Don't, don't pray like that. Don't pray in order to be seen. It, it's interesting to me that he uses the word seen when prayer is a verbal thing, right? Like you, you hear prayers, but really he's making a point here. Your prayers are verbal, but these people don't care whether their words are heard by God. Or at least they don't care as much as they care about people seeing them pray. They just want people to see them so that they know that they are spiritual. And you have to wonder, why are we like that? Why do we feel like we need the affirmation of others that we are righteous? Why do we pine after the praise of man? Why do we want people to think we're good? Better than we are. We don't have to do that. We know the gospel. We don't have to do that because we know the truth. We know the gospel. And people who really get that salvation is by grace alone through the work of Christ alone have no need, zero need to boast. They know it's Christ's righteousness that commends a person to God and that no one is good or righteous outside of Christ's righteousness. Listen to how Paul put it in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Famous verse, you might have heard it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that no one may boast. That's the gospel, and it kills my boasting. I don't need to boast. And you know why? I have Jesus. I don't have to dress up in my most righteous suit so that you'll look at my clothing and think I'm, I'm righteous. You know why? I'm clothed with the righteousness of Christ. I don't have to pray out loud in such a way that you think I'm good. You know why? Because Jesus is good and I'm in him. I'm free. He has made me righteous. I'm learning what it means to be righteous, right? I mean, there's, there's a practice of righteousness. I'm, I'm learning, I'm growing in that. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to stand before God for how well I prayed. He's not going to look at me and think, man, look at how you gave, like, uh, wow. He's going to look at me through the blood of Christ. And on that basis, and that one alone, he's going to welcome me. He has made me righteous. He is my only boast. If I'm going to fly a banner, it's not going to be Mike praise a lot. It's going to be Christ died for me. 
As the old hymnist put it, I need no other argument. I have no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. Do you believe that? Is that your confidence? Is your hope in Jesus alone, in his perfect life, and in his death, and his resurrection, and the gift of his righteousness to sinners like you and like me? If you do, you have no need to virtue signal. None. Just fly the banner of Christ. You're free not to boast. It is enough that Jesus died for you. Your boast is not in how much or how often or how well you pray. You're not pining for the affirmation of people. You don't need to parade your own righteousness. Your boast is simply Jesus died for me. The gospel kills the hypocrite in us. The gospel kills the hypocrite in us. And that's really good news. You know why? God hates hypocrites. He hates the hypocrite. He hates hypocrisy. It does God no good to see somebody parade a false righteousness. He died to kill that person and to give us new life and to make us real. He pays no regard to the prayer of the one who is praying, not so that God would hear him, but so that he is seen and viewed by people in a a certain way. Their reward, as verse 5 says, is received in full. Their reward is that people see them as spiritual, not that God hears them. The hypocrite has missed the point of praying. Praying is not displaying. When, we, when the focus of our prayer is not on God hearing us, but on the display, we miss the point of praying. So that's one way to miss the point of praying. Another way to miss the point of praying is how the Gentiles pray. Look at verse 7. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. So this is a different error than the first one. The Gentiles, it's, it's shorthand for those who do not know God. And he's basically referring to the pagan world when he says this. Their focus is not on the outward, dis- their focus is not on the outward display of praying like the hypocrite. It's, they're not primarily concerned with the way it looks to others. They do want God to hear their prayers. But their path there is through the empty repetition of words. They heap up empty phrases. This whole thing is mind-blowing to me. I mean, if you think about what Jesus is doing, he is telling deeply religious people, the Jews, and us by extension, Christians, that we should not pray like pagans pray. Mind-blowing if you think he has to tell us that. And the reason they miss the point of praying is stated at the end of verse 7. They think that they will be heard for their many words. Their trust is not in God who hears their prayer and knows their needs, but in their praying in just the right way. Their confidence is in the prayer itself. Prayer is not a magic spell. That's not what praying is. We don't, praying is not like some formula that you say, and if you say it just the right way, God will hear it and bless you. Prayer, to be real and effective, must be focused on the one you're praying to. Any other focus misses the point of praying. If your focus is the people around you, like it was for the hypocrites, then you miss the point of praying. If your focus is on the praying itself, like it was for the Gentiles, you miss the point of praying. Both miss the point. And so Jesus has brought in his bulldozers, right? 
because he loves us and he wants to push away the hypocrite. He wants to push away the pagan in us so that we don't miss the point of prayer. And so what is the point of prayer? I think the point of prayer, and I think we're going to unpack this as we go for um, the next few weeks, is our humble, dependent communion with God. The, the point of prayer is humble, dependent communion with God. Prayers that. And we're going to see that in action as we walk through the Lord's Prayer in coming weeks. But for day, today, let me just uh, show this to you with another passage, okay? So 1 Peter 5, 6-7. If you want to turn with me there. 1 Peter 5, 6-7. So, right after saying that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, Peter says this, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now pay attention to how the grammar works there. I know you love grammar, so here we go. English majors love grammar, right? Nobody loves grammar. Does anyone love grammar? Okay, there's somebody who loves grammar back there. Um, anyway, pay attention here. Uh, the NIV actually, I, I like the NIV as a translation, but it gets it wrong right here. It starts verse seven with a new verse, a new sentence rather. Uh, it's not a new sentence. It's a participle and participles are super exciting. The way the grammar works here is that we know that verse seven is how we obey verse six. Casting our cares on him it's how we humble ourselves before him. That's how, that, that's how participles work. Let, let's say you're out on a kayak uh, at Box Butte and you don't have a personal flotation device. This is a strangely specific illustration, but follow me here. Uh, you don't have one in your kayak and you're paddling back. And as you're paddling back, you see a game and fish officer standing on the shore waiting for you with binos, okay? Just waiting. And you get closer and he's there and he asks about the personal flotation device and you say you don't have one and he goes and he writes you a $76 ticket. And your name gets in the paper. <laughs> when he gives you the ticket and hands you uh, a copy of the boating laws, okay, he says something like, sir, make sure that you comply with the law, keeping a life vest in the kayak at all times. I mean, that's pretty clear, right? I mean, it's a strange way to say it, but it's pretty clear. The participle, keeping a life vest in the kayak, tells you how to obey the command. Obey the boating laws. That's how this passage works. Verse 7 makes it clear that the way we humble ourselves is by casting our anxieties on him because he cares for us. So, like, not praying, not casting our anxieties on him is not humbling ourselves. Do you follow? So prayer is humble and dependent, communion with God. That's the point of praying. When we pray, we humble ourselves because we know we cannot do this on our own. We cast our cares on the one who cares for us, the one who gives grace to the humble, the one who knows what we need before we ask. The, the hypocrite's not humble. He prays to be heard by people. Prayer for him, ironically, is an act of pride. When prayer is prideful, it misses the point of prayer. The pagan attempts to cajole God into doing what he wants by using just the right phrases and using them just the right amount of times. It's a magic spell. It's not humble, dependent communion on God and therefore misses the point of prayer. 
Prayer is humble dependence, humble, dependent communion on God. And if that's true, what does prayerlessness say about us? What does, what does your prayer life say about you if that's true? I, I want to say it just that way because I want you to feel the conviction I felt this week. What does your prayerlessness say about your humble dependence on God? What does me not casting my cares on God say about me and my view of the world and my view of me and my view of God? I read somewhere this week that prayerlessness is man's declaration of independence from God. And I think that's true. Prayerlessness is man's declaration of independence from God. We don't pray because we do not really believe we need God. We wouldn't say it like that, but that's what not praying says. I don't need to pray because I don't need God. My prayerlessness is a declaration of independence from God. And you know what? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous on the level of a three-year-old declaring that he doesn't need mom and dad. If you're around three years old, three-year-olds, they do it all the time, right? They declare their independence daily, moment, like all the time. You see them declaring their, they, they think that they can do it. They don't believe your, you know, me do it. And that like one of the first phrases kids learn. They don't believe your advice. They don't believe your warnings. They don't sense their need for you, at least, at least not always. And it's ridiculous. They cannot survive without you. A three-year-old cannot survive without their parents. When they get frightened, okay, so sometimes it becomes clear to them, right? Like when they're scared, they realize, I need mom and dad. They run to the arms of their parents. Declaration of independence, over. When they get frightened, when they need something like food or affection, they stop declaring their independence. They, they run. Friends, we should not be like three-year-olds in that way. We move and live and have our being in him. Like uh, Cody prayed this morning or read this morning from, from, I think, the Gospel of John. You can do nothing without Christ. We can do nothing outside of Christ. Without me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. J.C. Ryle said, that's not a, a fun lesson to learn. And it's not. We don't love learning we can do nothing outside, without Christ. But we can do nothing. We are dependent creatures. We cannot survive without him. Sometimes that's clear to us, Right? Sometimes we get frightened and run to his arms. Life scares us. We get a diagnosis or things aren't going well and we realize, man, I need God. And we pray. We stop declaring our independence. We run to him. We feel helpless. As Christians, we need to stop declaring our independence from God. We need to pray. So, Roughly, that's the excavation part, I think, of verses five through eight. Don't pray like the hypocrites. Prayer is not for those around you to make you look spiritual. You're a child of God if you're in Christ. You're a child of God. You, you don't just play one on TV. He's adopted you into his family. So don't pray like your relationship with God is theater. And don't pray like the pagans. Prayer is not a spell that you can get what you want or what you need if you just do it just the right way. It's not as if you can just say the right phrases and boom, God does your bidding. He's not a genie. Rather, prayer is humble, dependent communion with God. Your praying says, Lord, I need you in this life. I can't do this alone. I don't know the way. I need you. 
So let's just think about the cultivation part of this. Verse 6 and verse 7 both begin with when you pray. So there's an expectation that we will pray, right? When you pray. If you're a Christ follower, you will pray. We are dependent on him, so we pray. The gospel's made it clear. We need him. And so we pray. Now look at verse 6. He says, go into your room, shut your door, and pray to your father who is in secret. Now, obviously, the point is to contrast that with the way that the hypocrites were doing it. Standing in the street corners, not caring about what God thought, simply caring that they are perceived as righteous. Don't pray to display. But it raises a question, if you think about it, like, does that mean that we should never pray in public? Like Sam did when Sam was up here. He, did, he, didn't, uh, he didn't go into his closet and shut the door. He was on the stage with a microphone and prayed. I, I prayed. Uh, Amy prayed this morning here. So does this mean we shouldn't pray in public? I don't think he's prohibiting. I know he's not prohibiting public praying or praying corporately. And I'm confident that for several reasons. I'm not going to get into a lot of them. I don't uh, sense that you probably need convincing of that. But the book of Acts is full of people praying together, praying out loud, praying in public. Uh, but even right here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus shows us that we are praying together when we pray often, okay? So if you look just a verse down, verse 9, we're going to get to that. We're not there yet. But when he offers a model for how we pray, he begins it with, our Father in heaven. That's, that's a corporate word, isn't it? Our Father. We pray together. So... How do we think about this rightly? I, I, the implication is that I think our, the corporate praying that we do should not be the lion's share of our praying. Our praying with others ought to be like the Hawaiian Islands. Okay? Uh, if you were to drain the Pacific Ocean, you would see that the Hawaiian Islands are actually a very tall mountain range. You knew that, right? Like all the Pacific Islands are mountains. Um, most of the mountain is covered with water, right? Just not the very top. And so you're walk, when you're walking around in Oahu, you're on the top of a mountain, a very high mountain, with very steep mountain too. You can't see most of the mountain, but you're on it, and it's the very top. And that's how your public praying ought to be, the very top of a very large mountain. Do you follow? The, the public corporate praying we do together ought to simply be the visible part, while most of your praying is in your room with your door shut before God. You follow? If, if the only praying you do is when we're together, you're missing it. We should pray often before God. And the praying that we do together, which we should do, and we should do a lot of it, but it should be the tip of the iceberg. All right, so um, we should take great confidence from the end of verse 6 that praying really matters. God really hears the praying of his people and it really matters and God really responds. I, I just love this. Look at verse six. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. That means that there's real benefit to praying to our father in heaven. He rewards praying. He hears it. He responds to it. God answers prayer. And that's amazing if you think of it. God answers prayer. So I'm a letter writer, okay? I, I write letters to, this is gonna sound really nerdy, but I do it, okay? I write letters to um, senators and to um, 
my representatives in, in Washington. I write letters to the president of the United States. I write letters to the governor. Uh, during COVID, I wrote lots of letters. Uh, I write letters. I'm a letter writer. And you know why I do that? I'm, I'm hoping to have, I mean, I've read somewhere that there could be some uh, influence through that. Um, and, but you probably don't do that. Most of you probably don't do that. And, and the reason you don't do that is because you think it's a waste of time. Even if you want things changed, you think it's a waste of time because you don't think your letters will actually be read, right? And I will admit all the letters I've gotten back have been by uh, staffers or form letters, you, you know? So I do wonder if any real like recipient of my letter, the guy I actually addressed the letter to has ever read my letters. I just don't know, but maybe it makes a difference. I don't know. Maybe they think more people who don't, I don't know. What if you had a way to speak to really important people and they would really listen and thoughtfully respond? Would you do it then? If they would genuinely care, if you have confidence that they will hear me when I speak. Friends, that is exactly the assurance we have in prayer. We commune with the creator and the sustainer of the universe. And he hears us. And he he hears us. He rewards secret prayer. God answers prayer. Jesus further cultivates our understanding of prayer in verse 8. Look, look with me again at that verse. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. The, the pagan way of praying is to think that of God like a genie, and if we get the words just right, he'll, he'll do what we want. If we say the right thing enough times, on that basis, God will act the way we want. It's a system or a formula. Jesus shows us it's not that at all. Those six words... Your father knows what you, me- what you need. That means it's not a system or a formula. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. He's your father. He could have said God. He could have said the father. He could have said the father. But he goes with your father. And I think he does that because he wants you to feel the relationship you have with God through Christ. You don't pray to some impersonal God up there somewhere. You pray to your father and you are his child. That means he loves you. It means he cares for you. You pray to your father. I think that should free us to simply be real with God. Our father. We just come to him with our anxieties, our hurts. We just believe in him. And we pray to a father who already knows what we need. Our father who loves us, who cares for us, knows perfectly what we need. He's not going to stick it to us if we don't just get it exactly right. We can confidently pray to the God who knows our needs. And he knows them even before we ask him. He knows what they really are. You know, you don't always pray what you really need. You know, you don't have to be that old to know that you've often prayed for things that you didn't really need and glad that he didn't answer the way that you wanted him to. God knows what you really need. In that sense, prayer isn't merely informing God of something going on in our lives. You know, you never inform an all-knowing God. Just point of theology there for you. He knows. Praying is casting cares, not informing. And as the verse we read in First Peter says, we do that because he cares for us. What a privilege and a gift of grace we have in prayer. On the basis of Christ's work for us, we can confidently pray to our Father in heaven and he hears us and he responds and he cares and he knows what we really need. 
If prayer is not a part of your life and not a major part of your life, I think it's time to begin the cultivation. We should stop declaring our independence from God. Without him, we could do nothing. We should run to the Father with our prayers. Let the word of God excavate the wrong thinking that might be in our hearts. Praying to display, like praying is not for displaying our righteousness. And praying isn't a magic spell. Praying is humble, dependent communion with our Father. It's time for us to cultivate that. And we're going to press into this in the next few weeks. Let me just suggest that you begin by just taking a few moments aside each day, a few minutes, alone, without your phones, and just cast your... I'll say it again then, if Siri didn't get it. (laughs) Just casting your cares on him. A few minutes, five. Start with five in the morning. And just cast your cares on him. Just set aside some time to bring your... You're not independent. Declare your dependence on God every morning, five minutes. As we press into this, maybe it'll grow. Go into your room, shut your door, cast your cares on him, believe in him. He's your father, your father who knows all of your needs. Isn't that good to know that your father knows your needs? Just be real with God, confident that he hears you on the basis of Christ and that he cares for you. None of us are independent. Let us run to our father. Let's pray. So, Father, audaciously, I pray that you would make us a people who love to pray, who know that we are dependent creatures, who know that we cannot do anything without you, who know that our very, the, the very beating of our heart is because you continue to make it beat, and that we would be a, a people who pray who cast our anxieties on you. Help us, Father. Teach us to pray. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you. There's so much grace in that. So much grace in the the understanding that you are our Father, that you care for us, that you love us, and that you hear and you answer our prayers. You're so good. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.